Hi, I'm Lanise Brothers, a registered nutritionist, women's health, hormone, and menstrual cycle coach, and the founder of Eat Love Move, a nutrition and well-being practice. This is the Period Story Podcast, where in each episode, I sit down with a guest to talk about their period story. We get behind some of the myths and misconceptions about periods and so much more. Now, on to today's guest. On today's episode, we have Zachi Brewster. Zachi is a sex and pleasure educator, abortion and miscarriage doula, and a freelance community manager for reproductive well-being organizations. She holds space for people to trust and feel at home in their bodies, starting the conversations that matter, and building communities around our shared stories. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So let's start off with the question I always ask. So tell me the story of your first period. Um, I feel like as first periods go, it was pretty calm. Um, I remember I'd had cramps for like two days and it was a weekend. I remember that because I was at home and but I hadn't realized it was cramps. I just knew that I had this stomach pain and it wasn't going away and it was making me upset and then I think in the middle of the night I got up and went to the loo and there was um, blood and I was like oh um, but I was in quite like a dozy state and so I went and woke my mum up and she was like there's pads in the bathroom and I put one on and I went back to bed and that was pretty much it it's pretty boring but I think that as first periods go I'd rather that than like something <laughs> public <laughs> or explosive yeah. how old were you um I think I was around 13 but I felt quite late because a lot of my friends had already started my older sister had most of my cousins at that time were older than me so I felt like the last one um, so I was just like, please come, please come. And then when it did, it came and it was like, okay, fine, life goes on. And when you're in the middle of the night, when your mom said, okay, there are pads in the bathroom, how did you know how to put it on? Because um, I'd actually, I th- actually tried on pads before, I think from school, but also having my older sister, my mom, my cousins, I knew more or less how they worked like so it was quite normal and like self-explanatory I guess and I think that I was just like I'll deal with it in the morning and then that's it. And you so you said you deal with it in the morning and then what did you do? Did you speak to your mum or your older sister? Um, So I spoke to my mum in the middle of the night and then when I woke up I think it maybe really hit but it was more It was more very practical. I think my mum was really, I mean, my mum's always lovely. And she was like, okay, so now you do this, you do this. And I was like, okay, that's fine. But because I also felt like now I was part of this club, I think I was pretty cool about it. I was like, no, I've got it. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) And when you went to school, uh, because you said you were one of the last of your friends to get it, did you have a conversation with your friends about that about it? And if you did, how did that go? Um, I think I called. I think I called my best friend at the time, the morning or the afternoon after. Um, but I, I remember feeling like pretty cool. Like, okay, this means like I'm an adult now or something, which obviously it doesn't. But I think I probably had a conversation with my friends about it. 
um with but I think I played it down like yeah no I just I've got these pads in my bag because I've got my period (laughs) or something like that I'm pretty sure it was something like that um but yeah I was quite happy I was really happy to when it started actually and so did that happiness continue as you you know started to get more and more um cycles um I think yes and no because my I've never really had sort of problems I guess I think the thing that I found confusing was what you're taught in school that it's a a 28 day cycle and you bleed for like I think we were told three to five days so from the first day up until now which is almost like 15 years of having a period my period's always been seven days long and relatively heavy and with clots and so that was the thing that I struggled with in feeling maybe slightly abnormal or tired, like really tired during my period of like, A, is this normal? Is it normal to bleed for this long? Is it normal to have such heavy periods? Are clots normal? Um, And I, so all of that, that wasn't a conversation. I didn't have it in that term in that sort of with that sort of phrasing with my friends I just know that knew that many of them had really short periods or suddenly like from when we were 15 were on the pill um either for like contraception or to manage their periods but um so I think it was like not having the wider conversation of the various the variations that you can have with your periods I think I struggled with that because although I could talk to my mom and my sister and my friends I think there's a lot of assumption around periods that you just deal with it and you know what you're doing. And so you don't sort of complain too much because it's like, well, everyone else gets on with it. So I just have to get on with it. Whilst at the same time, you're thinking, am I normal? Is this how it's meant to be? So when did you learn that about what normal actually is and what how that what that meant for you in terms of your period? Um, I think I would say I'm still learning like I found my normal and I was like okay seven days doesn't mean that I'm I mean I was anemic but it doesn't mean that I've lost like all the blood in my body and clots happen um I used to have a lot more clots when I was younger I I don't really get them anymore but it was sort of like after a while and then having small conversations or someone mentioned something here or there and now especially that I've started tracking and sharing it on Instagram as well I've had so many more people like seeing the response from people like oh yeah I get inner thigh pain and yeah like my vulva aches on day one but I never knew that was normal or yeah I I never connected my anxiety to the week before my period until now and I'm like oh all of these things are normal like I think when we think about periods the focus is very much on the bleed rather than Mm. the cycle and I think if we look at the cycle which is also I've only been doing this for the first really the first few last few months so that's why I said I think now I'm really starting to learn and I'm almost 28 and I'm like well why didn't why don't we have these conversations when like when you're younger like when you're a child before your period even starts because it would make it would help I think many people feel a lot more comfortable and a lot more trusting and a lot more able to navigate their bodies even with healthcare professionals in knowing what's normal and then when you need to ask for help and what you're actually asking for help for what made you decide to start tracking your your menstrual cycle um so I tried with apps before but 
I always forget. Um, and then I think my first day of my period is when I'm bravest. And I think I was on Instagram one day and I was like, oh, it's the first day of my period. And I, and I talk a lot about bodies and womb happening, but I never really talked about periods. And I was, I don't know what I was talking about. And I was like, oh, I'm feeling really bold and energetic today because it's the first day of my period. And then I suddenly thought some, a few people commented back and were like, me too, me too. And I was like, hey, would you be interested if I tracked it? So the first app, I really use diligently to track my period was actually Instagram, which is very surprising. (laughs) But I, a lot of the work I do has been very personal and intimate for myself. But what has helped me, and I realize one of the greatest tools of supporting each other is making it a conversation. Mm. Um, Yeah. And you said that you feel really bold and brave on the first day of your period. Has it always been that way or is it something that you've just started to realize that happens on the first day of your period? Um, I think I've just started to realize also because um, it's not always like that every month. Um, But and yeah, sometimes it's very much like I do not want to speak to anyone today. Do not speak to me. Do not come near me. Just give me food and I'll be fine. Um, but I've realized more and more that my energy, the more I'm aware of myself, I realize my energy drops before. And if I, the more I listen to my body and know what works for me, actually I'm able to manage my energy levels. And so when it comes, it's like I've had this drop in energy, drop in mood. And then when it comes, it's like every month I forget, even if I know it's coming, like, oh, that's why I was like that. And then it's like, yeah, okay, now we can move forward. <laughs> and I think that that's where that energy also comes from, the sense of, like, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to really enjoy my body and learning more about my body. And so when these moments come up, I embrace them a lot more. And I realized having reduced my resistance to myself, if that makes sense, makes this more, makes my, I guess I feel more entertained and curious about myself, which Mm -hmm. makes the process slightly easier and fun. (laughs) That's an interesting phrase you use, resistance to yourself. So talk a little bit more about what that means. Um, I think, and I'm saying all of this from personal experience and I, and I, having suffered from, I don't even want to use the word stuff, having experienced very heavy, very painful periods. Um, I used to, although I was always sort of happy about my period, I did resist it coming. I was like, why am I in this long? Why, like, oh, why can't I just move it to another time? There was always some sort of friction with it. And I realized that I didn't want to be on hormonal contraception to stop them completely. There's something about feeling into my body. I knew deep down, like I was like, I do want to feel into this. And there's something about this that I know I like happening every month. But at the same time, it was sort of dread and irritation and everything around it from especially having heavy periods, like knowing, okay, if I'm out today, this is day three or day four. So I'm going to have to be in a place where I can like have a nice ish bathroom where I that's nice enough to like change myself and look after myself and it was those small things that were really like I don't want to have to deal with this and so I would resist having a period and resent it and 
not like myself through that whole process for my moods and I think that that just adds to it one thing I've learned which is sort of like sorry there's a police car if you can hear that in the background (laughs) um one thing I've learned especially through my training as a doula and looking at birth is um I mean it sounds very simplistic when you say it but the resistance that you have it doesn't enable the process doesn't help the process and it actually doesn't uh reduce pain if anything it adds to mental weight and the physical load as well so I think finding ways to work with surges or contractions when you're giving birth help the process understanding what's actually going on at that time um, and through that process helps you work with your body and so as I was learning more in the birth world I sort of tried to apply that to myself just through a period and it sounds like from I mean, it sounds like there's a world of difference and there is from like birthing a baby and having a period. But if we look at it in terms of mental state and mindset, and again, I'm talking from someone with relatively manageable period symptoms. I know it's not like that for everyone, but I found at least for me, the change in mindset helped change my experience of my cycle each month completely and so the work that you do as a as a doula and as an educator has and plus tracking your cycle has changed the way that you view your period and menstrual cycle how how has it changed the way that you speak to others in your in your work um I'm very much I think sometimes as an educator, you can learn information and then the way you put it out is like, so this is how it works. And I think I'm much more less like that and more like, actually, you have to do the work and to feel into yourself and feel what works for you. And because I realize that that's what I've had to do. And I think that that's what, if not, we go back to this old way of teaching periods, like when you're in school of this is the cycle, this is how this works, this is how many days it's going to be, this is the type of blood you should expect on your first day, when actually it's like we would all be more empowered and more, I think the aim is not to teach knowledge, but to teach people to understand their bodies. And the only way to understand your body is to know yourself. And so I think it's less about teaching uh sort of an abc and more like so what's your language what language does your body speak and giving people the tools to access that for themselves and that's amazing sorry go ahead no i was just gonna say that's how i think i've grown as an educator and how i feel that i can impact and support my community and the people i work with better so in terms of the work that you do, you do a lot of different things. How did you fall into this line of work? Um, so I studied food. <laughs> I lived in Italy for seven years and I studied um, at the Slow Food University, which is all about good, clean and fair food and looking at food heritage, food science, food culture. And I also did my master's in food design. And in between that time, I had a miscarriage. And I had, so I hadn't really thought about my body before that. And it's only from that experience that I suddenly thought, ah, um, I mean, I was forced to connect with my body through that experience. And it's only through that experience that I realized that the experiences that we go through, at least this was my truth, with our wombs impact every area of our lives. And so it was from my experience that I thought there 
is a lack of support and knowledge that really connects with people out there. And I think I started this as sort of like my own healing journey and then realized that this is interesting and necessary and how I want to be of use in my community because there weren't that many uh, women, especially around me at the time that I could see um, that were talking about this, especially black women, women of color, um, queer people as well. And so I'm very grateful, especially I think we've connected over Instagram, but that we are a lot more visible and that people can see us and that people, we can have these conversations. Like if I thought about this six years ago, I'd never imagine that I'd be talking about periods <laughs> with you <laughs> on a Friday morning or doing the work that I do. Or So I think like that's how I came into this world of like womb and periods and abortions and reproductive and sexual well-being and growth I guess. I've never encountered an abortion and miscarriage doula before and I know that when I had a miscarriage I would have loved to have used a service such as this because I was lost and I felt like I just could at that time so this is about seven years ago that it was still something that wasn't really discussed and no, now I my thinking is so so much different on it and I talk about it a lot um, because it's just you know it's something that just happens and we can't sweep it under the carpet um, but how how do you how does your work how do you you know, how do you connect with people? Um, how would someone be able to even access your service, your services? Um, so I am mostly active on Instagram. My website is coming. I've said that for the past two months, but it is. Um, but most of, so most of the people I've worked with have been through Instagram and through word of mouth um, because it doesn't pay my bills and I didn't start it as a service to make money it's more sort of I know I need to maintain myself but that's why I do such a range of things because each of them like fills my heart a bit and so my head and I'm learning and I'm supporting um and so for now I'm happy like that I'm looking to make more resources so that people can support themselves if they don't want to speak to me but um yes that's how everyone's come to me and the support for each person is different um with miscarriage sometimes it's a few months or even like a year down the line that people get in touch with me because I think at least for me that was a if I look at from the day it happened to when I started to feel back to myself um that was almost a two-year process which I think for some people that maybe haven't experienced anything like that sounds a bit crazy but that's how it is for many people and a similar thing, a similar sort of time scale with abortion, although some people would get in touch maybe before if they're planning because they just need to talk it out with someone. Um, it's very, both of them are intimate experiences. And although you may have a good support network around you, sometimes it's nice just to speak to someone that's completely outside. And I just want to say I never offer advice on what should be done I'm very much a listening ear and as a doula is in the birth sense or postnatally it's someone in case anyone didn't know it's someone that's there to support emotionally and physically then that's what I do um, with abortion and miscarriage and a lot is talking because I think talking is very therapeutic but it's more tailored 
to help people also feel in touch with their bodies as well. Through so if I was to get in touch with you for, um, say, an abortion or after an abortion or a miscarriage, can you just talk through step by step how the process would work? Um, so I always do an initial uh, 15 to 20 minute call with someone just for them to tell me where they're stuck and what they need and their story. Um, and that's for me just to listen and to explain my services. And then from there, I, I will always write a follow up email of this is how I can help. Because I think also, um, I think it's a two way street. I like we said, when we started this call, it's nice to see someone and connect with someone. And I, th- I always leave space for if they don't feel they connect with me. And also for myself, if I don't feel I connect with them. And so that initial call gives me time to, to also see, do they need help maybe from an actual therapist? Is this bigger than what I'm able to support with? Um, how I can help them if I can't to give them, to signpost them. And also for them to have a chance to sit with is this the type of support I need and do I want it from Zachi? So then I, follow, I send up a follow-up email and I usually structure it because actually I've most people I've worked with has been through Skype or Zoom just because of people in Cambridge, people up in Manchester as well. And you can't sort of organize a meeting, one hour meeting every week or, <laughs> or whatever it is. Um, <clears throat> and then from there, I'll see what the needs are. So when it comes to abortion, if it's just maybe it might be one or two calls before an abortion, like how can I prepare myself mentally? How can I prepare myself physically? Um, For many people after abortion, I suggest a four-week program that I do, which consists of um, 45-minute do one-hour calls weekly. Um, And it's a chance for them to talk as well as for me to share exercises and to practice these exercises of getting in touch with their body. So it's very, I have a sort of skeleton and then adapt it to people's needs, whether they're pre post, how post, um, whether it's just a listening ear or whether they need maybe more support in connecting with their bodies. And I like to keep that pretty flexible because it's such a, personal and intimate experience that I can't say this is the course and follow it and it's a six-week course and by the end of it you'll feel like this so for many people it's four weeks then some people we extend to six weeks some people I'm still in touch with but we've become friends so (laughs) it's a whole mix of experiences and people it's, it must be so fulfilling, the work that you do, seeing the change that you can elicit in people through just the questions you ask and the, the, the structure, the tailored structure that you provide. Yeah, it's, um, I, sorry, I'm a bit at a loss for words. I, when, I, when I think about it, I actually feel quite emotional and also quite sad that it is not a common service. And I know that service is a stretch. And I know that after miscarriage and abortion, sometimes not even all the time you're offered counselling, but it's so generic. And I think it goes, I know it goes deeper than book a few phone calls with an NHS counsellor. So I'm very happy I do what I do. But I think I would love to find ways, and I am working with people to find ways to make it more um, 
accessible in terms of that this is something that is so normal in our community that you can speak to someone. And I would also say that there are a lot of doulas out there that um, do do this work, but maybe don't. To anyone that's looking, I would say for support around this, of course, do get in touch with me. But if you don't vibe with me as well, reach out, do reach out to other doulas and look for doulas because some of them, it might not be the first thing you see on their website, but a lot do offer abortion support, maybe not like I do, but there are a growing number of resources and it's still not that much, but we are growing in this area of support and I hope to see it flourishing because it's very much needed. I mean, these experiences sometimes impact us years down the line but like even speaking to women like from 10 20 30 years ago they've had a miscarriage or an abortion and they're still it's still this stuck energy in them and it's impacted on relationships um children parenthood how they feel about their own bodies it's impacted on sex that's how i got into talking about sex and pleasure because i realized that these experiences mm, can impact us sexually like even feeling sexual for yourself even like massive some people can't touch themselves for ages or indefinitely after and all of this is connected your self-esteem how you feel at work your mental health and that's why I think that it should be a key part of reproductive health services I think and you mentioned your work as a sex and pleasure educator can you talk a little bit about that um <clears throat> so I run workshops, womb workshops. Um, I talk on panels. I'm creating programs for schools now as well. Um, and yeah, so I came about it in a sort of roundabout way. But I realized like with period education, that sex education, um, I did a course a little while back and I said to the tutor it was a sex educators course and I said to the tutor but you, do you like there's no talk about pleasure in any of this and it was a really great course it was a fantastic course and they were like yeah we don't really talk about pleasure and I was like how can you not talk about pleasure when actually I think like focusing it from that angle which is why the main reason that many people are sexually active with themselves with partners is for pleasure and, and if we Again, for me, it's like with period talk, we don't talk about the range of what is normal within a period or the range of experiences. I think we're doing it, we're doing a huge disservice, especially to young people, if we negate that that is a huge factor of sex. And I think coming at, coming at these issues, arguments, for want of a better word, from just a very base level, which is something that we don't often do. Um, can increase engagement and education and learning so much more. And I realized that I've worked mostly with adults and older people talking about this. And I realized that they've, many people have never spoken about pleasure. And I'm like, wow, you're like 50 and you've never spoken about pleasure, but you've been having sex for like the past 30 something years. And you've never, it's like, no, I've never thought of pleasure. It's like, wow okay, like we really need to have this conversation. Like we really need to have these conversations. Why do you think sex and pleasure have been so divorced from each other in terms of um, education and even like think about education that we get around sex in schools? Why do you think those conversations have been so separate? Um, I know it's because sex 
education is tricky in terms of society in the sense that especially with young people it's about keeping STIs low and teen birth rates low and so I think the fear is if you talk about pleasure you're telling them that they should have sex because it's ple- it can be pleasurable and so I think that there's a fear and maybe uh, maybe people haven't found the right way um to both educate and please the schools and parents of talking about pleasure. Um, and I think those are the two main fears of teachers, um, school governors, school boards, the general education sector of, no, we can't talk about pleasure because then young people want to do it. Like young people want to do it anyway. <laughs> um, so if they're going to do it, at least like let's give them the tools to communicate. And talking about pleasure is not just so that young people have better sex. It impacts communication. If you know what works for you, you can communicate that to your partner. And you can also communicate when things aren't working for you. So it filters down into from what does pleasure mean to me from like looking at erotic material from porn to communication to body literacy it encompasses all of that it's not teaching young people how to have better orgasm like no we need to move forwards from that point of view so that's what I hope bring to the table and you mentioned you know looking at erotica material and porn do you think that once you've done like have you seen examples of where you have been doing this education work and it's shifted um, the way that people think, young people think about sex away from this kind of what you see in porn to a a more realistic um, depiction of sex and pleasure? I think because the only, so yes to your answer. Um, I think because we don't talk about it, so young people's go-to is porn or social media when actually like we could even have discussions about okay like erotic material like what about reading a book and I'm not talking 50 shades of grey um there are many like erotic literature or there's apps now so I also wrote an erotic story for Fairly which is a women's pleasure app or there's Saya I never know how to pronounce them but there's audio erotica and that's a gentle I find that those two, like talking about those two ways of accessing material outside of visually is a much gentler way because it allows young people to use their imagination. And although you're reading and absorbing information, you can create the scene in your head. And that's a much healthier way of viewing and creating ideas around sex rather than saying, watch this, condition yourself to only like this or that this is the only way. And you can you can have so much more fun with your own mind or saying to, to young people, well, or young people, this applies to anyone at any age that has never thought about this before. Like, okay, write a list of, you don't have to share it with anyone. And I would never also do this in a classroom just as a caveat. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to say, have you thought about, aside from the porn you watch, because most people have watched porn by the time, I think the stats say by the time a young person is 13 or 12, they've seen some form of porn um, whether it's in social media or someone sharing it in a whatsapp group or actively seeking porn but I think that asking young people to use their imaginations and to create scenarios or ideas for themselves puts them in a position to understand themselves more feel maybe less weird and be conditioned less and yes have better sex and feel better in their bodies I think that that's the that's the whole point but it, a lot comes down to self-esteem and 
yeah, you if you if you're just consuming material that's already someone's it's someone else's idea, then you have no chance, especially at that young age, to form your own ideas around it. Um, and I think that that leads also into sexuality. If you're only from body image to sexuality to looking at body shape and body positivity, body neutrality is what people are looking at now. If you only see one two types of people or two types of relationship then that leaves no space for your own exploration and your own sense of self what would you say to um, a parent who knows that they need to have this conversation with their child so um like i'm just thinking uh, my son's six um so and maybe i i talk to him about sex but not on nearly on the level that we're talking about today it's too advanced but i know that in say four or five years i'm going to have to have more detailed conversation what sort of tools would you give to a parent like me that would have to have this conversation with their child um i think sometimes we focus a lot on sex and it's more sort of the conversations that come before that. Like you said, the conversation we had, we're having right now is too much for a six-year-old. That probably doesn't even get half the things we're talking about. But it comes before that in the, in the sense of communicating, like creating a space where your son, your child is able to communicate freely with you about their bodies. What's changing, even like looking at different like the, the body as a whole like not just sexual organs like look how your feet have grown or like now you're this age and me- keeping it age appropriate so and the things that are age appropriate like kids understand their bodies and they can also understand um the differences that come with age but I also think that following your son's lead and there's a lot of fear of when do I have this conversation and some of it is like your son will let you know when he's ready to have this conversation but it first starts with creating that environment where you can have this conversation and the questions will come and Mm. when they come you one thing we learn in our course which I really liked is you when a question's asked by a child always respond but you don't always have to answer directly. And that gives you space to make it appropriate for that child in that situation, in that moment. But always respond and never say, no, 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 we can't talk about that because that shuts them down. It it starts a shame cycle and then it's like, well, I can't have this conversation. So follow your son's lead, I would say, and just start by, it doesn't have to be a sit-down conversation, just answer questions as they come. And they will come. And what would you say to a parent who is less open to sexuality themselves, but knows that they need to have these conversations, but feels quite, I guess you could say quite typically British in the way they feel quite embarrassed about having such an intimate conversation? Um, I think making it normal. So I, I know there's been a huge movement. Um, I, did, I feel like it shouldn't be a movement, but it is in terms of diversity in children's books. So if you are buying books even for your children, like maybe buying a book where the parents are not heterosexual or something like that without making a huge point of it, but having that book as something that you've bought and you've decided to read with your child is like, oh yeah, it's, it's two dads or it's two mums. And then, the, but the story goes on. And I think that's what I was saying before, like there's a fear of this is going to be a big, hard conversation when actually it's just about making these conversations very normal because kids, I mean, they're asking you like, why is the sky blue next minute? And then they're 
asking you like what's for dinner like two seconds later and you haven't even finished in your head you're like oh why is the sky blue and then they're like oh what's for dinner (laughs) kids don't kids aren't caught on this like what is like I need to know this answer now like it's things flow through their brains so fast that it's just about making these things normal it's like oh it's those two guys are not holding hands it's like oh yeah they're holding hands like I hold hands with uh my partner or or whoever it's like yeah maybe they're in love and then you keep keep the conversation moving it's just about I think yeah making these things normal from like periods to sex to relationships and sexuality like yeah so make make it normal and remove so we can remove the shame around these conversations and topics um so if We've said a, you've said a lot of really amazing pearls of wisdom during our conversation. If listeners take one thing away from this conversation, what would you want that to be? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say take the time to understand yourself. Whether and you can use that, you can apply that into different areas of your life. It can be from looking at how your diet affects you to looking at your period over a month, but not just the bleeding part, but looking at your moods over that month. Like, is it related to your period? And the more you track yourself, whether it's food, your cycle, um, sexually even, like you could even track the moments over time when you feel super turned on or horny on that day and be like, oh, is that related to my cycle? Is that related to my mental health? So it's about joining the dots, but I would say try to understand yourself, choose sort of like one variable that you want to track and then look at it, look at that variable in relation to other things. Um, And choose, yeah, what's of interest to you at the moment? What is an area that you think you want to improve or understand more and pick that? It doesn't have to be a huge tracking thing of your, everything of your life from like your diet to your cycle and how many times you did exercise or didn't that week. Just pick, start small and the rest will fall into place. Where where can listeners find out more about you and the work that you do? Um, head over to my Instagram was at sazbrew, Z-A-Z dot B-R-W. Yes, no S at the end. Sorry, I literally just had to put that <laughs> not my own Instagram handle is. Um, and then when my website's live, it will also be shared there. Great. So they can contact you and find out more about your work and how to use your services. Yes. Brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been so amazing hearing your story and hearing about the work that you do. Thank you. Thank you for having me. For more inspiring conversations, head over to periodstorypod.com where we have so many more for you to peruse. If you want help with your menstrual or hormone health, email me on hello at eatlovemove.com to set up a free 30-minute hormone health review. If you like today's show, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Tag us, come say hi, and send in your requests for who you'd like to see on the show on Instagram and Twitter on at periodstorypod or email us at hello at periodstorypod.com. I'm Lenise Brothers, and you've been listening to Period Story. Thank you so much for listening.